How's it going, everybody? My name is Kyle O'Grady. I'm a thru-hiker, I'm a backpacker, I'm a huge hiking nerd, and every single week on this podcast, we chat with other hiking nerds about their experiences on the trail. This is a amazing episode. Elise Ott is on the show. She has hiked the PCT. She most recently hiked the CDT in 2022, and that was what we focused most of the conversation on in the episode today. The CDT, I just feel like it has this, this, oh my god, I don't even know how to describe it, this allure, like, it's just, it's the least hiked of the, of the big three triple crown trails, a lot of people think it's the hardest, and so, I don't know, it's, it's just fun to talk about this trail, and I want to hike it at some point in the near future, and so, I just basically asked Elise a bunch of questions that I am curious about when it comes to the CDT. And so I hope you enjoy it. Elise, when you hear this, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to get into it real quick. I've noticed that the uh, the five-star reviews for the show have started to tick up again. I really appreciate that. So thank you to everyone who left one recently. And if you haven't done so already, please do so. Five stars on whatever your podcast app is. And if it's a really good one, maybe, just maybe, I'll read it in the introduction for a future episode. No promises, but we'll see. Let's get into it. Episode number 135 with Elise Ott. All right, Elise Ott, thank you so much for uh, coming on Trail Tales. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're virtually here. Virtually here. Yeah. (laughs) No, don't even have video. That's a little fun fact for everyone that listens to the show. A lot of people record these podcasts on like Skype and stuff, but I've never done that. All these episodes, all these conversations I've had with people, no video. It's basically just a phone call, but it's awesome. And speaking of awesome, we have an awesome guest this week, Elise Ott. I, I, since you're you know involved with Backpacker Radio, I think I'm going to pretty much just do exactly what they do, and I'm going <laughs> to ask you to give your hiking... I hate, I hate saying this, but... Your hiking resume, Elise. Oh, that's fine. Um, I feel like, you know, that's a good background to get it's for important. people. Who... There's, a, there's a reason why they yeah. say it at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so my backpacking experience really started kind of, I guess, relatively late. Um, I heard about the PCT from a friend who hiked the JMT while I was in high school and became infatuated with the idea of walking from Mexico to Canada And that didn't become a reality for me until 2019 when I was like 23, I believe, is when I started the PCT. And um, so that was – I basically only went on two one-night overnighters prior to that, which potentially a questionable decision, but it worked (laughs) out for me. Bold. So um, I think that's kind of a fun fact. I think people tend to – worry and maybe some people should worry if they don't have more experience but honestly like I said it worked out fine for me um and that was it I was hooked um so hiked the PCT in 2019 did some like week-long stuff um in between then and the CDT I hiked the CDT this past year in 2022 um and yeah so I mean, there's like shorter stuff in there, just like week long trips or like section hikes of the Colorado Trail because I live in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those are the two big highlights. Okay. Okay. It's kind of interesting what you just said there about like, you know, having very little experience before your first long through hike. 
I feel like mm-hmm. I always tell people, like, it's good to have as much experience as you can get before through hike, but yeah. there's still every single year on every single trail, there's people that have never, I know you had backpacked a little bit, but like, there's people that have never backpacked before yeah. that still are successful. So I don't know, like, would you still agree that you should try to get as much experience as you can before through hike, oh. or should you just... To send yeah, it. I don't for know. sure. I I would say definitely more experience. Obviously, it's gonna aid you. Um, it obviously won't hurt, and I think it's also a good way to figure out if you actually like it. Um, yeah. I think some people. I mean, you can definitely idealize a through hike, and I think I just got lucky that I actually did really like it. Um, it could have <laughs> gone the other way, like you know, one overnight is so different from like five days in a row, like. Sometimes by that fifth day, some people are just truly like, yeah, that's enough for me for life. I'm good. Oh, yeah. Um, And so just having those like single overnight experiences that I literally only did because I was like, I need to go on a shakedown hike or what if I don't even know how to use my water filter? <laughs> I didn't. I was terrified of that. Um, And so, yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely if you can get more experience, do it. But also, that's also to say if if you can't and you don't and doesn't mean – you're going to fail. Definitely still know what you're doing. Like you don't want to go out there, like having it be the first time that you set up your tent. But like you said, I think that does that still happen every lot. year. <laughs> yeah. I've heard a lot of stories from people who've done the AT um, that are just kind of incredible. So, I mean, it's possible. People do it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's definitely but, it's definitely possible. How did you um, – yeah. or actually, where did you – like where did you grow up? I grew up in the Midwest, uh, born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and so I did have like some camping experience, but very, very rough, like car camping from when I was like 10 years old. And that was pretty much the max. Yeah. Not, um, not exactly a place that's known for, you know, backpacking. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Um, there is the Ozark. Yeah. Trail. I was going to say, doesn't the Ozark trail go over there yeah. somewhere? I've never actually hiked it. I've been down in like Southern Missouri um, and it's an interesting area, but I've never hiked it. But I have like played with the idea and now I'm saying this out loud and I might regret it. But um, (laughs) the FKT for the Ozark Trail is like, in my opinion, super attainable for someone who's in through hiking shape for the women's FKT unsupported. It's like nine days right now. Oh, wow. Which is it's like 210 miles, I think. So nine days is like less than 30 mile days. So if you could like pull off seven thirties, I think is what it is. Mm-hmm. Then you could like set those arc trail FKT. So I've, I've played with that idea just as like for fun, maybe. After well, now there's a couple hike. thousand more people that know this. So I know. I know. That's why I was like, maybe I don't want to say it, but um, yeah, I'm not like super into speed records or anything for myself, but I just thought that was kind of a fun a fun fact and plus it's like close to home so yeah yeah definitely um how did you first like learn about through hiking and like learn like oh there's these people that walk these trails <laughs> the length of the country like how did yeah. how do you learn about it and then how did you get to the point where you actually decided you wanted to do it because some people it goes hand in hand they learn about it and they're immediately kind of like i want to do that shit that's kind of what happened to me uh-huh. then there's other people that are just familiar with it for a long time before they actually come around to the idea of doing it so how did that kind of shape up for you yeah i think i definitely fall in the latter camp of i knew about it for a while um basically i had one of my best friends 
in the whole world in high school, she, um, her family backpacked a lot and they, her graduation, like present slash trip from high school was to go hike the JMT. And, um, I just remember thinking that was so cool. And like, she came back with all these great stories and it was so beautiful, like looking at her pictures and stuff. And, um, she somehow like came up in conversation, mentioned how like the JMT overlaps with the PCT and how that goes from Mexico to Canada. And I think that was like the moment I was like, holy shit, I want to hike. That's so cool. Just like hiking across the entire country. It just sounds so mm-hmm. interesting um, and fun and fascinating and all the above. Um, but we went to a pretty like rigorous high school, I guess. And it was definitely like very much a clear defined path. Like you go to college, yeah. you start a career. You know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that like societal standard that we're supposed to follow. Um, and so I kind of got caught up in that, but I still like always had the PCT on the back of my mind. Like I remember doing, we had to do a college project on like, it was like an animation project or something. And um, we got to pick the topic and I like picked the PCT and talked about that and like how I want to do it one <laughs> nice. day. And like, yeah. So like, and then I read wild and, <laughs> um, so that's like also kind of cliche, but, um, I feel like people give Cheryl a bad rap. I'll throw that controversial opinion in there, but <laughs> Interesting. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't read it or seen the movie or anything, honestly. Yeah. I think she's an incredible writer. Sorry. This is a quick aside. She's a really <laughs> good writer and I don't think her people like, I think are viewing it from like the perspective of she's not a true through hiker, but like that was never her, the point of that book. Yeah. I was going to say that what little I do know about it. It doesn't seem like it's, it's not really a book about through hiking at the end of the yeah. day, but yeah, anyways. I would agree. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I read wild, but the, and then that did inspire me a lot. I think just because I'm, I'm drawn towards good writing and good books and, um, And so I was like, okay, I'm doing it. Now it's just a question of when. And I was at my first job. Um, I work in advertising and I was in like the traditional agency path. And for those who aren't familiar, um, especially when you're like new and young, that can be very rigorous and like um, sort of like a pay your dues kind of mentality, like working 60 hour weeks, um, not always getting like a ton of credit for the work you're doing sometimes do like a lot of the grunt work and then like other people get to take over the cool part of the project, just stuff like that. That's just leads to burnout. Um, and I was just like, I, and I was looking at like my boss who I really respect, but he was like there on the weekends with us at the office. And like, you know, that theoretically would be my career path if all worked out. And I was just like, is that really what I'm working for? Like, is that what I want in 10 years? And that kind of just, solidified for me I like needed to make a change um and so I was living in Atlanta and I decided I wanted to hike the PCT um and I was gonna make it happen so that's when I started to sort of set everything in motion that was 2019 or like I guess 2018 when I started like really deciding um I like decided late enough too that I didn't even get the first round of permits like I had to apply in February yeah and then um ended up with kind of a late permit date which we can get into. What was what was the start date? May 9th. Yeah, pretty so, similar to mine. Mine was May fifteenth. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yep. And like this year, I feel like Probably that's perfect. The move. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did have a high snow year too. Twenty nineteen was I don't I feel like people always point to twenty seventeen. I don't know how twenty nineteen compares to twenty seventeen, but I know there was quite a bit of snow still. Um 
So yeah, but um, yeah, I was like, I yeah, I'm not doing this. And my my work was actually really supportive. They gave me a leave of absence. And oh, stuff nice. And, yeah, they were great about it. Um, I didn't end up going back. I was going to say, um, <laughs> did you go back to Atlanta afterwards? I I did not. I ended up um, in Colorado, but yeah, they were they were great. So. Yeah, and that kind of set the ball rolling for right. everything since then. Right. Yeah. And then CDT in 2022, which I kind of want to get into. Because yes. um, yeah. I want to hike the CDT someday. Like someday in Sweet. the near future, I'll say. And so whenever I get a chance to talk to CDT hikers, I always try to try to milk it for all it's worth. Um, yeah. And so we're going to talk about that quite a bit. Let's so to start out, what direction did you hike? On the CDT? So I hiked northbound starting April 15th. Okay. And so this yeah. is a big question because mm-hmm. for me, both of my two, you know, long through hikes, I went northbound. So mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm a northbounder at heart. But yeah. the CDT, I don't know. It, it almost, again, I'm not an expert on the CDT. Yeah. And so that's why I'm going to uh, defer to your judgment here. But it does kind of seem like a southbound hike makes a lot more sense on the cdt than it does on the other two trails it's still possible on the yeah. other two trails especially the at there's really not any mm-hmm. disadvantages that i can think of but it's just not the the most common way obviously but yeah. on the cdt it does kind of seem like there's advantages to going sobo potentially over nobo so what went into making the decision um about the direction you're you were gonna hike and then why did you end up going northbound what are your thoughts on going southbound let's talk about the direction yeah. So I don't know how much clarity I'm going to give you, but I, I can tell <laughs> you all my thoughts. Okay. Um, to be honest, we mostly ended up going northbound because my now fiance is the same way as you. He's He had done the AT and the PCT already northbound. And so he was pretty much dead set on finishing his triple crown northbound. Northbound. Really? Okay. So yeah. it, really, it really mattered to him a lot. Yeah. He was very, like, very dead set on it. And I was kind of more skeptical because I felt like I'd heard so much from other people that like, oh, the CDT is a southbound trail, like it's a better weather window, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was making me nervous. And I was, you know, I expressed to him at one point, I was like, what if we just went south? Like, I know that um, like going north is important to you, but isn't finishing more important? Like what Mm -hmm. if, you know, what if that makes or breaks it? And he's like, no, I think we can do it. It'll be fine. And so Honestly, that was the right decision, I think, this sh- in 2022 for a couple of reasons. And I think 2022 was kind of a fluke year. Okay. Um, but I think I think there's merits to both. I totally understand why people say going southbound is the move and I'll, I can get into that. But before I get into that, um, like I'll outline why I think northbound worked out really well for us. We, we started April 15th. I wouldn't start much later than that personally. Like, I mean, April 20th, you know, like any April start date, you're probably going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I feel like May in the boot heel of New Mexico, I just can't even imagine. Like April was so brutal. brutal. Yeah. Um, we did accidentally start in a heat wave, <laughs> um, which obviously we didn't know. And like we didn't find out until we got into town. That's like in the Lordsburg, the first town. Um, we like saw news reports about how like New Mexico had this heat wave, and I was like, no wonder I was fucking dying. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was like a little bit validating because I was like, man, this is so much harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say like kind of getting into the PCT comparison, like the New Mexico desert is very different from the PCT desert, especially 
in the beginning, you're like truly like on the desert floor versus like on the PCT, I feel like it's still kind of mountainous. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I never really thought about it like that. Yeah. And like not everywhere, like you do get up a little bit higher at certain points um, in New Mexico, but like there are like just parts where it's just long, flat, open areas of like the classic um, like if you in desert movies when they show like the cracked open ground, yeah, from like the mud drying out. I've seen like, pictures <laughs> of that shit like from CDT hikers. It does yeah. look, you know, it's kind of funny. I was actually going to ask you about comparing the New Mexico desert to the California desert, but just mm-hmm. hearing you say that and like thinking about the videos of New Mexico that I've watched and the pictures I've seen, mm-hmm. it actually makes total sense. It does seem like, you know, parts of it at least would be less mountainous than the than the PCT desert. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so that's like one factor um, that I guess I would say is probably like in favor of going southbound, because if you're there like later in October, I don't it's probably nicer Mm -hmm. than April. I'm not certain about that, but I would imagine. Um, Another thing, though, is like if you start the desert at a reasonable time so that you're not baking which I felt like I was still baking in the sun every day. Um, you are going to get to the San Juans probably way earlier than you theoretically would want to. Yeah, that's like, the thing that kind of concerns me the most about going yeah. northbound, honestly. Yeah, um, and I mean, like, I feel like any through hike, I sometimes like debate whether most trails in general should even be hiked in a single season, just because like weather windows don't always really make sense in either direction sometimes yeah um but yeah so i mean we got to the san juans in late may um and we actually had a fire closure in new mexico which kind of accelerated that but then we took up took off like probably the same amount of time and what it's taken us to hike there anyway and we still it was like late may um and we got a little bit lucky in the sense that this year the San Juans were melting pretty fast. Like they had regular amounts of snowpack from my understanding, but they had such high winds that all this dirt was blowing up onto the snow and then the snow was melting faster. Interesting. Of the way the dirt reflected the sun. Don't quote me on that. I'm not <laughs> a, like a weather expert or anything, but that was how it was explained to me. Um, but our first week was still pretty intense. Um, and I think the CDT is just like the snow traversants can can kind of sneak up on you. Um, They're a little bit more uh, precarious, I think, than my experience in some other places. And um, they're not necessarily at like distinguished features. Like just by the nature of the continental divide, you're just on top of the the divide for so long that it's, you're not like always going up a pass and then like going back down into a valley. It's like, you're up there and you might be like on the side of a mountain and you don't necessarily, you can't necessarily tell that's going to happen before you get there. Um, Mm -hmm. So that can be sketched, but I feel like now I'm making it sound like Southbound is better all around, but (laughs) let me, let me just say, so getting to the San Juan's early is a Northbound issue. But after that, I feel like your Northbound challenges are pretty much over, in my opinion. One advantage to it is you are earlier than the majority of monsoon season in Colorado. Um, like, say you go through Colorado, like, May, June. 
that's like really nice as far as storms go typically because our monsoon season peaks in August, I believe, like the first week of August. Does that so include like, like lightning too? Because that's a big concern yes. of mine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like definitely that was that's probably like one of my number one fears in backpacking in general. And you're like above 10,000 feet. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's sketch. And you're above 10,000 feet for like so much of the CDT in Colorado. Like you live above treeline for a lot of it. And um, so, yeah, if you're like in the dead center of monsoon season, you're either waking up at the crack of dawn every day and like probably just getting to camp super early. So like your mileage is going to be probably greatly affected or you're like running down ridgelines. Yeah. And like just sprinting away from lightning all the time, which is not I don't like doing that. Um, so I think that's one major advantage of going northbound is you can kind of beat monsoon season. Well, well, um, if you went southbound, what time of year would you be rolling through Colorado? So that's also, you might be after monsoon season potentially. Yeah. Cause I've kind of thought about it that yeah. way. Like as a, a major advantage, which I could be wrong, honestly. Um, I've always thought though, that it would be like a good advantage to go Sobo because you'd be hitting Colorado like after like the major like lightning yeah. and stuff. That's, that's the theoretical, like that's definitely like another strong argument for Southbound. But this year our monsoon season lasted a really long time. And so Sobo's kind of got fucked because they were still Man, like, really? running away from thunderstorms like end of August, which wow. is not, you know, that was a little bit of an anomaly, but it can happen. So it's really, um, is it really like July and August that like are the main season? I would for, say so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it gets like, it ramps up the closer you get to August 1st ish and then starts to ramp down after that. Interesting. Um, yeah. That scares the shit. Out. That's honestly one of the number one, probably the number one fear I have about doing the CDT yeah. is, is lightning. I think that's a realistic and a healthy fear. There are definitely ways around it though. Like if you know your bailout points, like every morning, especially when monsoon season started to get more, like we started to notice more thunderstorms, we would just like check the night before the weather reports like really don't matter. I would say like late July or even just July in general, if you're in Colorado and you're above tree line, like people vary on this, but like afternoon or after two, you very well could get stuck in a thunderstorm regardless of what the forecast says. Um, But we would always just – if we could tell it was going to be especially bad, we'd wake up super early and then we always had bailout points. So, um, And did you ever have to actually use any of them? Oh, yeah. Several times. Really? Can, um, you, can, you, can you tell one of those? So I've only yeah. hiked in Colorado once and it was in mm-hmm. September. So I don't oh, think we nice. had lightning at all yeah. the entire time. And so I'm yeah. not – so I, I'm familiar with some of the terrain. We did the collegiate loop. But I oh, – yeah. I am not familiar with bailing out. I've never had to do that Um, before. So that just makes me curious. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring up the collegiate loop because that's actually one of the sections um, where there's on far out. Everyone kind of refers to the main route as the red line on the CDT because there are so many alternates and they're different colors. And so they just call it the red line. Um, But uh, there's the collegiate. There was like 15 miles of the collegiate loop that was the red line. And we had stopped for lunch at like this Jeep road and it started thundering, like clouds came in and we were like, we knew we were going to be of above tree line for the next, like at least like 15 miles, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were like, uh, yeah, that's not 
that's not going to happen today. Um, and so we just took the purple line instead in that area um, and went up like, I think it's called, I don't remember actually. <laughs> um, it was a pass though that it's like popular for like ATVers and stuff. Monarch um, pass? Not Monarch pass. No. Um, um, I can't remember any of the other passes on it to be honest. <laughs> it's maybe Tin Cup Pass. Sounds I think it familiar. might be Tin Cup Pass. Yeah. Um, so we ended up on that, which is kind of a bummer because obviously like we still got a lot of the Collegiate West, but, um, you know, it would have been nice to go through the whole thing. But um, luckily I live here, so hopefully I can make a loop out of that this summer, or just maybe do the portion that I missed or something. But Yeah, you definitely should. Honestly, I yeah. kind of liked the Eastern part better. Oh, really? Yeah. I feel like I'm definitely in the minority on that, but yeah. maybe it's just because being a... I just wasn't used to being above treeline for that long. Yeah. And so if it was, it, mm-hmm. and the weather was fine. Like I, I was totally mm-hmm. fine, but like. It's still nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking. Yeah. yeah. It's nerve wracking. Cause you're just like at any moment, like I have no protection up here and yeah, it, it's kind of a gnarly feeling. Um, but that was one of the times there was another pretty notable experience when we were leaving like the Herman Gulch trailhead area, which is like right after you cross I-70 in Colorado. Um, you end up, we like climbed the night before and then the next morning you're just like above 10,000 feet for like another, again, like another 10 to 15 mile stretch. And so, and we had to climb a 13er that morning. We knew we had seen that the forecast was like already really bad the night before. So we were like, okay, we'll wake up super early. We'll try and get to this. Um, There was another Jeep road pass. I think this uh, I don't remember the name of that one either. Um, it's like maybe Joseph or something like that. Chief Joseph. I don't, I'm not certain, but it's near Berthid Pass. And so we got there because that was like our pre-planned bailout point. We got there at like 10 a.m. and the sky already was super gnarly looking. Um, I had just like outrun some clouds, like blowing in over the 13er we had to climb before that. And we get there and there's a giant cornice still on this jeep road so like technically impassable but we could see where like people had potentially already gone down to it but we didn't have our ice axes or anything anymore and it was probably like a 10 foot drop and so we get there and my partner and I are just like kind of like looking over the edge like can we get down there like is that gonna work and I and I'm super risk averse so I'm like no like that's like we're going to break an ankle like or this cornice is going to collapse and like that's so like this is too dangerous we shouldn't do this blah 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 and then of course it starts like hailing and we're like okay so it's either gets sit here and get struck by lightning or we send it down this cornice somehow and so he went first and he like wore his backpack which we figured out was not the right move and he essentially like glissaded down this edge we found one spot that wasn't overhanging so it was just kind of like instead of an overhanging drop off it was more of just like a sheer like flat and then it had like a slight curve to it so it was like a very very steep slide um and so he went first and just like (laughs) sent it like i mean he tried to like self-arrest with his striking pole it didn't work um and luckily like he didn't he didn't get hurt it was fine he made it to the bottom um and then I was like, I'm not doing that with the backpack. I like throw my backpack down there, um, which was also sketch. I like lost a water bottle and Oof. it was somewhat of an ordeal. And then 
um, followed him and I was also fine, but I could see how like the wrong move or the wrong landing, like you definitely could injure yourself. So, yeah. um, it was a little bit of a questionable decision, but like I said, it was either that or like get struck by lightning. Yeah. So. And it's gotta be a pretty quick decision too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At that point. Um, and so, and then we just started like running down the Jeep road and after that it was fine, but it did like pour rain and then lightning and it was stormy like the whole rest of that. At least that afternoon. So um, did you did you guys just kind of like make your way back to the CDT in a different spot on the Jeep road? So then? for that one, we ended up popping out at like a trailhead that was down the highway from. So the CDT that's where the CDT pops out at Berthed Pass, which is like Highway Forty, I think, which is ends up going in Winter Park. Um, so we just popped out like at a different spot on that highway, oh, essentially. Okay. Um, and there are these people. Um, with their family, like on like leaving a hike, and they offered us a ride up to the pass. Um, so we took that. So I'm. This is another thing. I was not a huge purist on the CDT. I tried to like stay pretty close to it, but like in a situation like that, um, it didn't really make sense to walk back to the CDT because you would have been walking on a highway with like a guardrail. Yeah. It would have been kind of sketched. There's like pretty tight turns and stuff. Um, so. I'll probably go back for that section. Actually, this summer I have some plans, but um, yeah, so that was another time. We did, there were definitely instances where like um, we did bail off and then just reconnect later on. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one place in like right in front of, right before Gray's and Tories, and you could like bail down another Jeep road. Jeep roads are are your friend on the CDT. Um, (laughs) And we ended up, like cutting through this cute little mountain town there was like no amenities it was just houses um but the people were so friendly um they like offered for us to camp in their driveway and oh, we'd take wow. a shower and we didn't take them up on it because we wanted to get as close to the base of grays for the next morning but as we could but um they were super nice and chatted with a few of them and it was a lot of fun so <laughs> sometimes the reroutes can be um sort of a blessing yeah but. definitely um I do want to talk about like some of the alternates and stuff a little bit more. Yeah. But before we get into that, um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other like notable advantage advantages or disadvantages oh. to like the directions. Yes. So one thing. Sorry for the getting sidetracked. Oh there, no, 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 yeah. no, no! You're good. Um, one thing I did want to mention. So just to, I think this will help me be concise with this. Is like the. Southbound year this year was kind of an anomaly, but I think this is a good example of why it's really hard to tell if northbound or southbound is going to be the best until you yeah. can like kind of tell what the weather for that year is going to be like or like what the snowpack is going to be. But um, up in Glacier, they got like a huge snowstorm like June 10th or something or maybe, maybe it was <laughs> – yeah, it was like – so they got a ton of snow right before all the southbounders were going to start or some had started. Um, and, like, I talked to the earliest southbounders where we met. We're talking about how they were, like, snowshoeing for, like, oh, the first man. 500 miles. Oh, I don't want to do that. Hell no. And, I mean, like I said, that's an, a little bit of an anomaly. Right. But it is something to consider. Um, and also, they had this gnarly situation with – there was a grizzly closure in Glacier because some cows got loose over the winter or something. And they ended up somehow in Glacier. And they froze – to death and then when they started to thaw out the grizzlies were having a heyday mm-hmm. and it was and like so right on to, the cdt you're right off yeah it. 
So they had to close this section of the CDT. And there's definitely alternates you can take in Glacier, but um, so much of the CDT in Glacier is just incredible. I um, wouldn't want to have to miss it for sure. Um, and some people just had to like straight up miss it, I think. Damn. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so there was a grizzly closure, which again, that was a weird circumstance, but did happen. And then um, they also, like I said, had the really long monsoon season. So they kind of got screwed with that as well. And then when it came to them getting to New Mexico, which is typically like, I guess, sort of, it's supposed to be cruisy from there. Um New Mexico has been in a drought, so I'm not sure what their water situation was like, to be honest with you. And I think that is also another potential get difficulty. Like, we had trouble with water in New Mexico in the spring, so I imagine in the fall is probably yeah. even worse. Um, and then also the Gila, which is, like, the best part of New Mexico, in my opinion, was flooded. Oh, really? Um, so I guess maybe they had, like, an abundance of water. Maybe that was <laughs> – maybe <laughs> – Southbound got screwed last year then, I guess. Yeah, so I think some of them got to do it, but I think a lot of them had to either take the high route through there or, yeah, just some sort of alternate. Um, and also, this is obviously was just a this year, hopefully, potentially won't be a problem anymore in the future problem, but oh, some of them had trouble even hitting the northern terminus because of, like, COVID stuff, like the border closures and things still weren't all the way resolved so like i heard stories from some southbounders who went to chief mountain which is supposed to be the easier northern terminus um is that the one that's just it's like uh, on a road it's just a border crossing right right yeah it's like on the road so oh, yeah okay it's also the easier like logistical option for a lot of reasons but um they like there was border patrol like standing in front of the monument and they couldn't even like touch the monument what? and get a photo with it. Yeah. And that didn't happen to everybody, but it happened to some of the southbounders we met. And I like just that would suck so bad. Oh my um, god, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. They had but I basically I think the biggest argument for not going north is the snow in the San Juans. And I think if you get there and it's that bad, you could wait it out. That's my my whole spiel. I think it makes sense. One thing it's, that concerns me about going north that we haven't really talked about yet is just, which I don't know too much about this, um, mm -hmm. is just making it to Canada before winter. When yeah. did you finish? Um, I finished September 21st. Is that like, you know, pushing it in terms of late or is that like still a pretty I like think, good time to finish? I think it was, there were a lot of us around that time okay. period. I think... Um, I think it's kind of similar to the CDT or the PCT as far as like October 1st is probably the latest okay. you want to push it. Um, Glacier is lower in elevation than a lot of the CDT. So that helps a lot. I think, um, we did get a dusting of snow in Glacier, but it wasn't anything that added like technical difficulties or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like in general, it's easier this might be another southbound argument, but I think it's easier to navigate snow and glacier would be my guess than it would be in Colorado just because you can drop back down into valleys. Like that's kind of how glacier is structured. It's like you're going over a pass into a valley over a pass. Um, whereas like the CDT in Colorado, you're just up there. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I'd be more afraid of being Personally, I'd be more afraid of being in Colorado in October than I would be of being in Glacier. But obviously, Glacier is much farther north. So 
there's that factor as well. Um, so like I said, I'm sorry, I'm probably not making things more clear, but no, I think that- no, you, no, no, you're, you're good. You're just being honest. Yeah. Cause it really is like a, it really is a tough decision and you could like yeah. make a calculated decision and then have it all just go sideways yeah. just because like of the Sobos this year. Like exactly. Just, just got, because of uh, the conditions on that specific year. Honestly, yeah. the AT is the only trail where you could pretty much just pick any direction and yeah. be fine no matter what, most likely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sucks. I, yeah, I'd agree, I think. Um, but also, I think I'm saying all this to say, like, I think northbound on the CDT gets, I, I don't want to say a bad rap, but I think people are very adamant sometimes that it's not the best way to do it. I think both, way have, both ways have their merits. And yeah, I was. It just depends what. Sorry. Yeah. I, was, oh, I was just going to sorry go ahead i was always kind of under the impression that and I, like i've always known that people hike it northbound so mm-hmm. I, I didn't think it was like impossible or anything like that but i've mm-hmm. always kind of been under the impression that sobo is the slight advantage but you're really making it sound like not that nobo is the advantage but more that it's just kind of a coin flip you know that's my interpretation of it for sure there's definitely people who disagree with me yeah but- um, and you know, I think I, I might have a biased view because of the way things shook out this year. Of course, but, of course. Um, yeah, I feel like it is more of a coin flip than people lead on. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, mm-hmm. let's see here. So let's talk about the alternates a little bit more then. Okay. So that's, this is another thing that's always kind of stood out to me about the CDT, and there's a little bit of this on the PCT, but I feel like it's more widespread on the CDT. Um, for the most part, on most trails, you just stick to the the regular routes. And again, on the yeah. PCT, there's a few like the the Eagle Creek and like you know, uh, uh, Crater Lake and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you stick to the the route, the official route. Yeah. But on the CDT, one of the first things I ended up learning about the CDT when I started to research it is that like alternates are. Like some alternates seem like they're more common than the actual CDT route. For sure. Um, yeah. Like the Gila and the, that's just what it seems like anyways. Again, I haven't done it, but mm-hmm. um, I don't I know. Think what, a- what was it like going into the CDT, like knowing these alternates were a thing? Did it mm-hmm. did straying from the official route bother you at all? Or was it just like, because, you know, some people, my, my audience knows I'm a bit of a purist. Mm-hmm. And so okay. I kind of had to let go of that on the PCT. And I yeah. did do most of the popular uh, alternates on the PCT, mm-hmm. but um, it's just different on the CDT. And then there's it's, also like the whole yeah. you stick within the continental divide and it still counts. I've heard that. Like, there's just yeah. it's just so different than all the other trails. It seems like. Yeah, I would agree that I think you have an accurate interpretation of it. Um, I I think people who start with the AT as their first trail definitely tend to lean more yeah. towards the purism. <laughs> and I get that because I think, you know, it, it has such a historic, like established route. It It is possible to do the AT the whole way without varying. Um, like you're not going to run into fires most likely. Um, I just think it's, it's, it makes sense to me on that, on the AT. And I think if I hike, I plan to hike the AT and I think I probably will be pretty pure, um, but I love a good side quest. I might, I love <laughs> going and seeing things like off the trail. Um, and so, and I'm definitely, I'm even less of a purist now on the PCT. It was really, I was pretty dead set on at least a continuous footpath. Um, 
and pretty, pretty pure. Like I didn't really, there were like some opportunities to take shortcuts and I never like did that, but we hit snow on the PCT in the North and that kind of like shattered my, um, not my dedication, but like the reality of like, okay, it's not always possible to just like keep going regardless of like what you want to do. Um, and granted, like, you know, that's probably, I should have started earlier, not lollygagged in the desert, but it is what it is. Um, and so all that to say, I love a good alternate. I loved the CDT. I loved having all those options. Um, if for people who are wanting to do, I definitely recommend not just far out, but also looking at Jonathan Lay's maps. Um, he has some really good alternates. Um, I wasn't as diligent as I wish I had been about like looking at his maps and taking those alternates, but there's often gut hook comments at like, or far out comments at the like intersections where you would leave for those. So sometimes I just followed those, um, which was really fun. It's just like, you get to see different stuff. Um, you can kind of choose, like if you're feeling burnt out and there's a route that like is three miles shorter and 1500 feet less of gain, then like you can take that. Like the CDT is a really long trail if you don't take any alternates. And I think, um, there's like an advantage to embracing them for sure. Yeah. Or like even just finding your own way. Like you can make stuff up. Like we did that occasionally on like dirt roads. Like it, it's just, um, it's still also not like a hundred percent established. So like in New Mexico, in some areas, like I made, I would say if I had advice to give to people about alternates, just decide like what's important to you before you go on the trail. Like, is that a continuous footpath? Is it seeing the most stuff? Is it doing what you feel is the most challenging for yourself? Like, just have that defined so you don't have, like, a moral dilemma when you're out on trail. Yeah, definitely. Um, Because, like, for me, I ended up deciding if it's, like, a paved road, then I don't have to hike it. Which, people talk about the roadblocks on the CDT. There are definitely a lot in New Mexico, but they're mostly like dirt gravel roads. And I honestly don't feel like those are too terrible. They're kind of like an easy way to get in a lot of miles. So Yeah, I don't mind the um, dirt ones. Paved ones suck yeah. though, for sure. Yeah. And there's like a straight up highway going into Silver City. And it's 12 miles long and like cars are going by at like 80 miles an hour. And I and, and that's an, sorry to cut you out. Is that the oh, official good. like CDT route? Yes, yeah. Interesting. Because I think, I think the CDT, like you know, I'm not I'm not part of the CDTC, so I don't know for sure. But I think my my inter uh, understanding is they because it's still so new. Like they're still trying to acquire land and like trying to get the route in places you know in the most scenic slash ideal places, mm-hmm. but like in some areas there's a lot of private land ownership. People don't want to provide easements through their lands, like a whole bunch of stuff like that. And I think that's very evident in New Mexico, especially, especially in the Southern part of New Mexico. Um, and so I think, you know, some spots like that, the only place the trail could go was like on a paved road. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, and I was like, you know what, I'm not doing this today. Um, and there was another hiker whose wife actually was supporting him and they had offered me a ride. And I was like, she was coming in like 30 minutes to pick him up. And I was like, I'm going to start walking. And like, when you pass me, just see, I'll see how I feel. Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, this is not what I came out here to do. Um, so yeah, I think it's just different for everybody, but there's also instances where you can just avoid stuff like that because of alternates. So, um, 
yeah, I feel like take advantage of them. Um, they're they're great. There's some really awesome ones. Yeah, I'm really gonna try um, to embrace that. I think. Um, mm-hmm. What about in the desert? Because I've like it, it seems like at the very beginning of the, or if you're going northbound at least at the very beginning of the trail, like in the New Mexico desert, mm-hmm. it almost just from the pictures I've seen, it almost looks like there's not even really a trail. It just looks like it's just an open desert and you just kind of walk yeah. from point A to point B. Is there any truth to that? Sometimes. Um, I think, so my theory on this is I think there's two factors at play when people are talking about like the cross country parts of the CDT. One, I've heard that they had a huge signage effort in I think 2021. Oh. Huh. So I think the signage has improved in certain areas quite a bit. Um, just in like the last year or two. So like if you have people prior to when that went up, they're going to be like, yeah, it's just like cross country. You're just walking into nowhere, whatever. (laughs) Um, whereas a lot of those sections now, I think are maybe a little bit easier to navigate. Okay. Um, that said, there are definitely still sections where, yeah, it's just like, there's not trail. Um, you're just kind of. I mean, it's essentially just root finding. Um, And a lot of times that's not that bad because it's either somewhere like the open desert where you can just kind of see generally like the direction you're supposed to go and you just kind of follow that. And, um, you know, if you're not like exactly on the CDT, it shouldn't be a huge deal. Um, But it is kind of weird to get used to if you're used to like something like the PCT or the AT where it's very obvious, like the direct path you're supposed to take. Yeah. Yeah. so I would say it just takes some getting used to, but it's not like – I don't feel like it means you're going to like walk two miles in the wrong direction. It's just kind of like you might not know the exact path forward. Um, that being said, there are parts in like middle of nowhere like Wyoming where you're in the woods and that happens. And like there's one day in particular I'm thinking of where like there were just cow paths everywhere and like no signs <laughs> and – some random like occasional roads that I wouldn't even call them roads, like maybe disserviced roads. Yeah. And you could easily just like stop paying attention and end up like three miles in the wrong direction for sure. So did that happen? (laughs) Um, I've definitely ended up like a half a mile off trail a few times. You kind of start to develop or at least I did like the sixth sense on the CDT where like when you're in an area like that and you're like on all of a sudden you're on a defined path and you're like, hmm, a defined path doesn't feel right. <laughs> so you like check gut hook and you like realize your dot's like way off. Um, and then you go back to look for the intersection and like it's not an intersection. It's just like there's some trampled grass off to your left and you're like, ah, that must be it. Um, so like that does happen for sure. But it's I think it's becoming less and less common as the CDT gets more established. Yeah. So one thing that people... I feel like there's always this idea that like a huge portion of the CDT is just completely undeveloped and you're just bushwhacking for days and days and miles and miles. And I feel like that, that gets like way again, I haven't hiked the CDT, but from talking to people that have, uh, and you know, doing research on it, it kind of seems like that idea is a bit blown out of proportion. Um, how often were you just straight up like bushwhacking like not because you got lost but because the trail just like ceased to exist is that is that really bushwhacking a thing specifically bushwhacking i would say like almost never okay maybe like 
I mean, there's like parts that have maybe gotten overgrown, but I would say you're, I don't think there's anywhere where you're straight up. And this, all that to say, I did take alternates. Like if, if there were times when people are like, the next mile is a straight up bushwhack, like take this trail instead, I I would do that. So yeah. I say that with the caveat that I purposely like planned ahead, I guess, and would avoid stuff if it seemed like it but was overly even, unnecessarily even just the fact yeah. that it is avoidable i think yeah. is, is I, still some good yeah. information there i mean there were definitely like you know the willows and the san juans get super overgrown and then they're like whacking your legs the whole time but you're not <laughs> you know there's a trail there so um yeah i would say maybe like maximum like one percent of the time if if even that so so of, like it, true bushwhacking cross country Maybe like five percent. Mm-hmm. Even that feels steep. Maybe, uh, mm, yeah. Maybe like five to ten percent of like cross country travel. Another thing I feel like you hear, and you'll be able to definitely give some good perspective on this, having done the PZT as well. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I feel like people say all the time about the, okay, that's an exaggeration, but a a. I don't know, a stereotype of the CDT, for the lack of a better word, is that mm-hmm. there's, like, nobody on it. And certainly it's less popular yeah. than the other two. But, like, how often were you seeing other thru-hikers on a daily basis? So, yeah, I think I have a weird perspective on this because, one, I was late on the PCT, so I was not in the bubble. And then on the CDT this year, I was thoroughly smack dab in the middle of the bubble, And it was, I think I heard from most of the towns, like twice as many hikers as they've ever seen before. Wow. So it was a huge year for the CDT. And I would say I probably saw in some towns, like in some places where it was like kind of a bottleneck, like Pie Town, um, that's like early on. And it's the only, like that, the toaster house is like really the only place to stay there. And there were like, 40 to 50 hikers there when I stayed there. Wow. Which was crazy to me um, because I never had – I don't think I ever had a group that big anywhere on the PCT. So that said, I talked to hikers who were like a week ahead of the bubble. They saw like 10 to 12 people was like their bubble. So – and then same thing with people who are a little bit behind. Yeah. Because we, we weirdly got to talk to a lot of different people when we filled in um, – our fire closure in New Mexico. So um, I think it definitely depends on when you start and, you know, how popular the CDT is that year. I think I had a little bit of a unique experience in that regard. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, That being said, sorry. I did just, so like certain areas, while I knew like there were hikers in front of and behind us, there were some sections of trail where we didn't see any other CDT hikers except for maybe our immediate trail family, like for the whole week. Interesting. So you could definitely still get that like isolated feeling. And you're definitely like pretty far out there in some of these wilderness areas where like you're not going to run into a lot of other recreational users. So, um, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. So another, a little bit off topic Another thing that I like about the idea of going southbound, this is not like an actual like logistical advantage. This mm-hmm. is just like a Kyle's, calms Kyle's nerves a little bit advantage. Uh-huh. Um, grizzly country, yeah. it's, it's a little bit intimidating. I won't lie. Uh-huh. I did hike in Glacier once, but I didn't backpack. 
Um, yeah. I just did like some day hikes there. And so like I've been in grizzly country before, only that mm-hmm. one time. And so like the idea of, of hiking for 700 miles in grizzly country or whatever it is, yeah. is definitely intimidating to me. And so the idea of just getting that out of the way first Mm-hmm. I, I like that. So that's another reason why I like the idea of going southbound. In particular, the part that scares me the most out of all that is the bob. Because mm-hmm. it just it just seems so freaking remote. And I yeah. honestly don't know a ton about it. But uh, it just seems like insane from what I've heard. So can you talk yeah. about like grizzly country and also talk about the uh, bob specifically? For sure. Yeah. Actually, can um, you explain what it is for those that don't know? The, yeah. the bob, that sounds probably pretty yeah. weird if you're, if you're not familiar <laughs> yeah, with it. Yeah, people are like, I've definitely like just slipped the bob into conversation before. And people are like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, the Bob Marshall Wilderness Area. It's the wilderness area that's like adjacent to Glacier. It's just south of Glacier. And it's the home to the highest grizzly population in the lower 48. Um, it's really popular for hunters and... Um, I feel like a lot of horseback riders go back there as well. Um, and it's pretty freaking remote. Like the only trailhead to it is like a 30 to 45 minute drive to the closest town, which is Augusta, Montana, which is the tiniest town you've ever seen. Like it's, you know, it's truly like one street. I don't think there's even a stoplight. Um, so it is pretty remote when you think about it that way. Um, yeah, you're like pretty, you're truly out there when you're in the mob, I think. Um, that being said, a lot of the CDT feels fairly remote. So I didn't feel particularly removed when I was in the Bob, like it felt similar, but I, but that being said, I brought that up to like my partner and he was like, sauce, like it's like two hours to anything like we're we're like a 40 mile hike and then like a two-hour drive to anything right now and i was like "Mm, i guess that's a fair point (laughs) (laughs) how much food did you have to carry through there um i think the bob itself like if you so it you have the option to stop in augusta which is that town i mentioned that's like i think it's probably like a 45 minute drive um from a pretty remote trailhead it's not a trailhead you're gonna be able to hitch from you'd have to like plan it and stuff yeah unless you got like i mean you could get lucky but you could also be waiting there for a day or more yeah if you're just hoping for a ride there was a shuttle service there which is i can kind of talk about that's kind of funny because there's a guy who was like kind of monopolizing the rides for hikers and there was like kind of some town drama around it when we were there he was like charging (laughs) everybody twenty dollars a head um for a ride which like you know he can charge whatever he wants like it's it's his time and gas and mileage on his car and it does get us out of a bind because like i said there's really no other way to get out of there unless you're super lucky yeah um and but we are all like why don't you just charge like a flat rate because he would pile like 14 hikers into his truck and then there and back so like he'd get 20 from everybody who dropped off and then 20 from everybody he took back into town um in one trip and we were just kind of like, yeah, that seems a little steep. Um, and he would just like kind of talk a little bit of shit about like the other people in town when he would, he would oh, like, that's drive no you. Good. He would like drive us like through like the places to stay and like definitely like wanted people to stay at his friend's place. And like it, it, he was a nice guy, but it was definitely it was like, I mean, I feel like people who've been on long trails before you run into those characters. Oh, who yeah. are definitely like, you know, they've discovered something good with 
um, hikers. And I think he might have some more competition as time goes on because I we guarantee ended up, he will. <laughs> yeah, we ended up getting a ride back to town from someone else in town. And he definitely, like, I don't think was happy about that. And sh- that lady who gave us the ride knew that he was going to be all, like, up in arms about it. And Small town somebody... <laughs> hiker drama. Yeah, it's very, very um, a fun, kind of interesting to observe. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, all that said, the Bob itself, I think you enter and then you go. Like, you just kind of barely get into it before you go, if you want to go into Augusta. Um, there's another option to like send a box to this ranch that's right there at that trailhead. Um, but that seemed it's like such a logistical challenge. It was like you had to have everything postmarked by a certain day and you had to send cash separately for them to hold it and you had to have your ETA like exactly spot on because they oh, would like geez. rotate Yeah, they would like rotate packages out of like wherever they store them from into like this bear box so that you could pick it up. But like if you were wrong about your date, then like your box wasn't there and then they're not on the property all the time. So it's like it was we were just like, we're not messing with that. Um, and I loved Augusta. So I, I mean, I definitely recommend going there if, um, if you have the time, but, um, so I think the Bob itself was only like five or six days. Um, so really not that long. A lot of the food carries on the CDT are like, I would say five to six is like the average. Whereas like on the PCT or AT, it's more like four, maybe three on the AT. Yeah. Um, depending where you are. Um, But, and then as far as like grizzlies, I definitely can relate. I was super nervous about grizzly country. I'd only backpacked in the winds once, which is like my only experience with it. And I was super anal the whole time I was there, like hanging our food perfectly and like making sure everything was like cleaned up from camp and Mm -hmm. eating our dinner like a mile before camp. Yeah. um, I would say though, like I I was still kind of like that on the CDT and, um, on a through hike, that can be a little bit draining to like yeah, definitely. eat dinner first and um like hanging your food just like a whole nother chore when you get to camp. Um but like for me the peace of mind was worth it. So um like it might have been a pain, but like I was definitely more concerned about grizzlies than I was about an extra chore. So Yeah. Um Did you guys see I, any? I saw potentially one um it was running away so i couldn't tell for sure it was like a light brown and kind of big it seemed like to me so that's why i think it might have been a grizzly but it also could have been a black bear yeah um and then my fiance actually saw one our last night in glacier um we were at like the campsite that's like 15 miles from the border so the night the night before you finished Yes, wow. yeah, the last <laughs> night. And we kind of lucked out, I think, because um, – so he, like – there's, like, this open field before this campsite, and then there's, like, kind of clusters of trees that you can camp in. But it's, like, kind of right on the edge of tree line. Um, and that's, like, gri- that's like grizzly territory. Like, they love that area. Um, and he was just, like, cruising into camp, and all of a sudden, like, hears rangers yelling from the campsite – and he looks up and this like mama grizzly is like on her hind legs Oof. and it's b- baby is like next to it. And so he ends up giving it like a really, really wide berth to walk into camp. Um, and the rangers, there were rangers there doing maintenance um, with horses and stuff, which like for some reason, horses always make me feel more safe. It's just like they're a big animal. I yeah. guess. Um, so and the rangers like didn't seem too concerned about the fact that the grizzlies were there and they were like yeah they've been there all day 
um, whatever. Um, and so that was like, I think that gave me a lot of peace. Yeah. Having Rangers being there would definitely make it a lot more comforting. comforting. I feel like, and now that I have that experience, I think I feel better about like, if that were to happen by ourselves, like I think honestly, if they hadn't been there, I might've just hiked on. And yeah. then, like, we're camping somewhere else. I think I um, would in that circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> Without but, the Rangers, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, but honestly, I think you kind of just, you start to get used to it. Because I definitely was nervous about it as well. And I think you just start to, like, trust yourself and, like, know that um, you know what to do if if anything happens. And Did you carry um, bear spray? Yes, yeah. I would say that's, like, a must. Yeah, I would def- um, I'm definitely going to do that. Yeah. Um, and like locals too, like the locals who really know, they're like, yeah, bear spray is the best option. Like you're way more accurate. Um, it's like way more likely to actually deter the bear and stuff like that. So yeah, I think you just, you kind of get used to it. And I think the only thing I would have done differently is, um, I was hanging my food every night, but there were some nights where like, we hadn't seen any evidence of bear activity in days. And like, we were around a lot of cows and like, not to say that means like a grizzly's not going to come, but like you're probably in a less active grizzly area. And so it would have been nice to have like an ursac mm-hmm. to just like put on a tree on nights like that. I think, um, I think if I did it again, I'd bring an ursac. Okay. Um, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Just cause paying your food just starts to get to be like it. And there's not always great trees. Like there was a night, <laughs> This is this is a bad story. This is like a do as I say, not as I do situation. But we were about to go into this town, this tiny town called uh, Ledor. And there was like – Idaho can be really randomly very dry and you're – because you're just, I guess, like right on the divide. So you're just not where the water sources are on trail. Mm-hmm. And um, there was like this pass where there was maybe a creek. Like if we were lucky, it would still be running. And we get there and um, this other hiker, Gourmet, had gone down to the creek to get water and like ended up like scaring off. Like there was a grizzly right there. And I think he didn't run. I think that was part of it. It was like he just kind of was like looking at him. And then so Gourmet just like walked away and (laughs) came back up the hill to where some people were camping and there were no trees. So or if, you know, if you wanted a tree, you had to walk down to the creek where the grizzly had been. And so... I was like, I don't know what to do. There was like a fence post. So my friends who had ursacs like tied their stuff to the fence post. Um, but like, you know, that wasn't going to work for my food bag. So I ended up like sleeping with my food that night, you know, ha- like half a mile from where we'd seen a grizzly. And I was like, oh, this is definitely not my I mean, smartest. sometimes but... though, it's just like, what are you going to do? Yeah. And you just like don't. I mean, you could plan better. I didn't plan very well. <laughs> but um, yeah. All that to say, you – I don't want to say you get used to it because, like, I don't want to encourage complacency, but um, it's manageable, and I think you'll – you just – you don't see them very often. Yeah. You really don't. It makes sense. Um, mm. You have given me, like, so much good insight. This has been great. Um, Thanks. So thank you for coming on, and to kind of start to wrap this up, mm-hmm. we got to do a story. It's the end of the episode, Elise. Um, so. Sweet. So what do you have for us? Yeah. So when you asked me this question as prep, my the first thing that came to mind um, was – so when I was on the PCT in 2019, this isn't even really a through-hike story because it was an off-trail adventure. But like I said, I love a good off-trail <laughs> adventure. Um, 
you see, if anyone's hiked the BCT before, you know that you see like Shasta in the distance for like forever. And something about that mountain, I was just like, I really want to climb that. Like that just, I, we've been looking at it for so long. I just want to <laughs> climb it. I want to get up there. And I had a good friend, part of my trail family, um, nocturnal nomad on the PCT. And he is from like the Northern California area. And he'd climbed Shasta twice before, but like several years prior. And he's a bit of an adrenaline junkie. He used to like say that like he threw hikes so he doesn't like steal cars. And um, <laughs> so like that's the context for like his risk tolerance, I guess. And um, he was like, yeah, like when we get up there, I'll climb it with you. Like I'll take you up. Um, and it's a class three mountain. So like you can do it without a guide, but a lot of people will do it with a guide. Um, okay. And yeah. So like, I mean, there's obviously, there's definitely route finding as with most mountains and um, there's definitely like time frames to do certain routes. And I was just like putting my full trust in Nomad. I was like, yeah, we're just, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. We're going to, we're going to climb it. It's going to be great. Um, and so I get into Mount the town, Mount Shasta after like a 36 mile day. Um, Cause we were really kind of trying to push it before. So we could get to Canada. Cause this was like mid late August and we were still in NorCal. So, oh, wow. um, or maybe it was early August. It was early August, but still we should have been in Oregon at least. Um, and so I like call up nomad cause he had gone off trail, um, for a little while. And I'm like, yeah, I'm getting into Mount Shasta tonight. Like, do you still want to climb Shasta? And he's like, yeah, I'll like, I'll start heading up there now from like, I think he was heading up from like Truckee Lake Tahoe area. He drives up, we like get a giant pizza and he's like, okay, I'll pick you up at like 4am. And I'm like, okay, sweet. <laughs> and so, yeah, we just started, started the route the next morning. Um, we started the Glacier Gulch route, which people who are familiar with Shasta are probably alarm bells are probably going off. Um, because that's like when it's that late in the season, that route is like, I think it's typically one you want to climb in like the snow. Okay. Um, so when it starts to melt off, I think there's like a lot of rock fall danger, but, um, yeah. So we start going up that route. Um, I have my trail runners. He, Nomad did bring me an ice axe. So I had one of those like black diamond mountaineering ice axes. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I'm like going up the glacier in my trail runners, <laughs> which is just like comical. I'm honestly shout out to Saucony because the tread on those things are my peregrines were amazing. And like, I don't know that I could have done that in like any other shoe because um, it was frozen because it was so late in the season. It wasn't like snow covered. It was just like truly just like hard packed snow ice. Um, and so you climb the glacier for like a mile and a half or something like that. And then nomad was like this is your adventure like i want you to like guide us and <laughs> which i just like i'd done some research but i had kind of just like figured he would know where to go and we'd be chill and so i'm like oh this route up to the right looks the most approachable and then we'll swing back around to the left and go to the summit well i was way off um <laughs> we ended up crossing essentially a crevasse and it was the most terrifying thing i've ever done it was this huge like the ice was just separating from the rock face on the mountain. And I, like I said, I grew up in the Midwest. The PCT was my first time ever backpacking. I had no idea how dangerous this was at the time, but like, I'm just like 
essentially wedging myself between this rock face, which is also crumbling because it's typically, you know, like packed in with ice. So it's like very prone to erosion. I'm like, like literally have my back wedged against that with my feet wedged against this giant, like glacier that's literally pulling away from the the rock face. (laughs) And I'm just remember screaming to nomad being like, I'm going to die. Like I'm going to fucking die. Cause like I was looking down and there's this giant crack and like, I don't know how, how deep it went. And oh my gosh, there's going to be mountaineers listening to this. Like you are absolutely so lucky you survived. But anyway, so I throw myself over the lead, like the edge of the ice and like kind of like army crawl my way up onto it. That part's done. That's like over with, thank God. Um, And I realized, you know, we probably didn't go the right way. Um, And we go across this giant snow field that's like kind of at the top. And then you go up Misery Hill which is just like loose scree, essentially. It's not like very sketchy. It's just, you know, you're up really high and it's really exhausting because every giant step forward is like half a step back. Um, And so we end up, we get to the top. It's like a little scramble to the summit. That was all really great. It was awesome. I love that mountain. It was beautiful. Um, All the rest of that was a great experience. (laughs) But then (laughs) on the way down, we're like, oh, let's make this. Oh, one thing this was kind of funny and like in hindsight just solidifies to me that it maybe wasn't the smartest route choice, but um, we meet like a dad and son at the top. Um, They're like the only other people we saw all day. And they were like, what route did you guys come up? And we were like, Glacier Gulch. And I was like, what about you? And they're like, Oh, clear Creek. We called the ranger. And they said that was like really the only viable one right now. (laughs) And (laughs) I was like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, and I guess we did run into some like mountaineers who had like truly like they had done some like rope climbing up to the top. But um, yeah, so then we we start making our way down and um, go back down the, the, the correct way towards to get back onto the glacier. Um, so we don't have to cross the crevasse again, thank God. And um, we're like, you know, what would make this faster is if we just glissaded. Um, but like I said, it's not, it wasn't like snow, snow. It was like glacier, like packed snow and ice Mm -hmm. and a pretty long descent. So I put like my frog togs, my, my rain jacket actually, cause my rain pants had actually were, had bit the dust at this point already. (laughs) Um, so I put like my arms, like my legs through the armholes and like try and do that to like get some production on my butt while I glissade (laughs) down this glacier. And I'm, you know, just like dragging the ice axe. As you're like supposed to, I guess, when you glissade um, to like keep yourself in control. But I just started picking up a bunch of speed, and like all of a sudden, my I like my hand slipped and my ice axe fell out of my hand, and I'm just like picking up speed, picking up speed, going super fast. And Nomad at first is like, "There you go!" Like there's this hilarious video of him like watching me come down, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you're doing great." And then all of a sudden, he can tell like how fast I'm going, and he's standing over like. I guess like this huge, it was like a big bump in the ice or like a big crack or something. And so he's trying to tell me to slow down because I'm going to hit this bump. And he's like, slow down, slow down. And you like hear the panic rising in his voice. He's like, self-arrest, self-arrest. And I'm like, I can't because my, luckily I had a leash, which people debate whether or not that's smart because then the ice axe can come back and hit you in the head. But I had a leash and it was just flailing behind me, like as I'm like flying down this mountain. And luckily I like, I was able to like kind of turn and like, get hold of the ice axe again and then i self-arrested but not before i flew over this bump and i didn't even i think i was going so fast that it didn't i didn't even notice like 
he just had to jump out of the way because he had crampons on. So he didn't want to, like, stab me with yeah. them. Um, and eventually I finally, like, I get under control. I self-rest. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, it was it was, um, it was was pretty intense. And looking back, like, not the smartest um, decision makings. But I was, I was younger and I think I just – you got to learn somehow. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, and I don't even feel like – this is bad to say, but I don't even feel like that experience really taught me. I think it was like learning things later on, like how dangerous crevasses are, <laughs> that I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I, I did that. Um, but you but yeah, lived. And I lived. I lived, and I got a good story out of it. So Yes, and we're mm-hmm. all very thankful. Mm-hmm. Um, Elise, where can people find you on the interwebs? Plug your stuff. Uh, you got a great YouTube yeah. channel. Everyone should oh. should go subscribe to her YouTube channel. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's been my latest um, sort of creative outlet, which has been a lot of fun. Elise Ott is my full name, E-L-I-S-E-O-T-T. Um, and you can find me pretty much everywhere just with that um, YouTube, Instagram. And I'm on TikTok if you want to see like the unhinged, <laughs> like I just basically do dumb trends on there. So <laughs> yeah. I'll have a link to all that stuff in the show notes. So that's going to do it. Sweet. Thank you again, Elise, one more time. Yeah, and thanks. thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next week. Bye.